You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. My name is James. I'm an elder here at the Vine Church, and I'm part of the preaching team. And this week, we are going to be continuing our series, kind of almost a wrap-up, not the last week, but the second to last week in our series on 1 John. So we're going to be in the book of 1 John. You can open up to 1 John chapter 5. You can turn on the Bible app if you got that downloaded. There's stacks of Bibles in the back. If you don't have a paper copy, I would love to see you leave with your paper copy of the Bible provided by the Vine Church. There's a table back there and a table over there. A couple housekeeping things as you're turning to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, there is a QR code that will appear on the screen, and this is a, a QR code that will take you to a link to be able to ask a question during the sermon, and it says Q&A. I would be more likely to say question and response. I have no way I'm going to be able to provide an answer definitively unless it's like a factual question. Um, and even then, <laughs> might not be able to. Uh, but if you want to ask a question as we go through the sermon uh, today, we maybe we'll have some time at the end to be able to cover one or two. Uh, and if we don't have time, that's okay. We we at the at the Vine Church, the elder team gathers, and um, the preaching team will look at these questions and you know respond um, either in a podcast or Friday family time, or sometimes they end up in the city group discussion guides. But feel free to use this. I also think there'll be a link on the important channel. In a f- this is not the right QR code. Uh oh. Jackie's going to put a link on the live live change here. We're going to do a a link on the important channel on Slack which you could use because this QR code takes you where? Okay, the old one, not to like some menu for a restaurant or something like that. Um, has anybody ever been burned by their alarm clock? Has anybody ever, ever anybody else ever been burned by their alarm? No? Okay, maybe just me. I'll just tell an embarrassing story about me then. Um, so I was on a work trip, and I had a shift that began at 6 a.m. Like, work started at 6 a.m., which meant in the, we were, like, in a hotel 30 minutes away, which meant I had to wake up really early. And, uh, you know, your first couple days of the trip, I made it no problem. Third or fourth day of the trip, I uh, rolled over and saw that my phone said it was, like, 9.30 a.m., and uh, I had a bunch of missed texts, I had a bunch of missed calls, and I had just completely slept through that alarm. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody else, but it was embarrassing for me. Uh, had to show, they, they gave me a car, somebody's car. I don't even know how I got to, to work for that day, but I did. And uh, I'm still embarrassed by it many years later. And I now, I figured it out. You set two alarms. Anybody else? Anybody else do that? You set two alarms. I put my trust in this thing that's totally not going to fail, right? Of course, I, I, actually today I didn't even set that alarm. I woke up to the, to the sunshine, I, I think. But the, uh, here's the deal. The alarm clock will fail. <laughs> my phone will run out of battery. The double alarm clock thing will also fail um, at some point. And so the, the point of why I'm sharing that story is today we're going to look at something that's not as fail-prone as an alarm clock, something that's more reliable, something upon which we can rest our eternal hope, so something our, our entire faith can be, be in. And I, I don't know if that's a cheap analogy, but it is, it is where I wanted to go this morning. Scripture is going to teach us that there's something else in, uh, in which we can put our whole trust. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13. In order to read the Scripture and, and pray for us today, I'm going to invite Mallory to read the Scripture for us today. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears, that he hears us, uh, us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that your word is living and active and that when it goes out, it doesn't return void. I pray that your spirit would open our hearts today and our minds, um, that the word would penetrate um, and you would speak through James this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Valerie. Well, there's a lot of ways we can go with the scripture today. We could talk about eternal life, what that means there at the end of verse 13. What does the will of God mean in uh, verse 14 there? Uh, yeah, no, verse 14, according to his will. And then the necessity of prayer. We could talk about the necessity of prayer. But here's where I want to go with this, this verse this morning. I'd like for us to, uh, these verses, I'd like for us to take away this main point. And there's a lot of ways to phrase this, but there's the way I'm phrasing it today. The perspective of eternal life is going to deepen our relationship with God. That there's a perspective of eternal life that changes us in some way, fundamentally, that's going to change the way we interact with the world and deepen our relationship with God. That's the takeaway from at least these verses to me, although there's many. This perspective changes us. I was just having a conversation with, with Ty Allen, and he, he phrased it as, Tattooing this on the inside of our eyeballs so that we remember this, this perspective, the frame that we have, this perspective of eternal life will be the, the thing that changes us. We'll keep trying to come back to this main point as we go. Let's take a look at verse 13. We'll kind of go verse, but here's the plan. We're going to go verse by verse, and then we'll take it into application. What does this mean for our lives? So here's verse 13. I write these things to you. I write these things to you. We should probably like pause because not everybody's been here for the whole sermon series on First John. Some of you have. Uh, but who is I? Who is I and who is you? Uh, well, I is John, John the Apostle, John who wrote the book of First John and the letter of First John, Second John, Third John. He wrote the Gospel of John and uh, Revelation. And there's, this is who I is, as an early church father who's writing to these beloved people. It's important for us to remember who wrote this the beloved apostle, someone who knew Jesus personally. And he's writing to you. Who is you? Well, you, it's defined right there. You who believe in the name of the Son of God. You who believe in the name of the Son of God. Another way of thinking about this is I, John, am writing this to you, the early church, the early church, early Christians. You who believe in the name of the Son of God. So this is a letter written to people in time and history, you know, thousands of years ago, but it's meant for us today as well. We believe that scripture is imbued with the Holy Spirit and speaks to us today. And so this is John writing to us as well, to us who are Christians who believe in the name of the Son of God. That is a key part of this, that this letter is written to Christians. It's written to the early church. And that's going to have implications as we read the following verses too. I was a little skeptical when I went through this too. I was like, ooh, maybe there's something here with the, you who believe in the name of the Son of God is in the name of the Son of God something like secrets other than believing. Like, is there a difference between believing in Jesus and believing in the name, as it says here? And uh, upon, upon a little bit of research, believing in the name is an ancient way of saying believing in the Son of God. Because back then, like, leaders didn't have Twitter to be able to say what they said, right? They just sent messengers who went in the name. 
So and that's, a, I don't know if that was making anybody else skeptical or distracting you, but believing in the name is equivalent to believing in the Son of God. Believing in the Son of God. So why is he writing this? I write these things, these things, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So there is a purpose expressed here. John is very clear. I'm writing these things to you so you may know, you may know something that you have eternal life. But I want to backtrack and talk about what is these things? What, are, what, are, what does that mean? These, I write these things. Well, this is a great opportunity, I think, because we're going to be concluding the sermon series next, next week. This is a great opportunity for us to reflect, to kind of go back. What are these things? There are a couple ways we can interpret this. One is just the immediate free, uh, few verses in chapter 5, or perhaps it's about the entire book. And that's, that's the way I'm going to take it, is we can look at all of these things. He's writing these things that I'm about to show you. We're going to kind of go back the whole, through the whole of 1 John. And by the way, we're not going to read the whole thing. It does only take about 15 minutes. So if you want to make a task for yourself this week to read the entirety of 1 John front to, front to back, you could do it. So we're going to take a high-level view. What are these things that are meant to encourage us? Let's see. I had, I had Jackie pull some of like the highlight verses from previous sermons that were preached in the series. So... I apologize if we missed some of your favorite verses, but this is some of the highlights of these things. Starting in chapter 1, it says, Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Then beginning of chapter 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So John establishes early on that there's an identity of Jesus, that that is part of his message. These things includes the identity of Jesus is meant to get us to know we have eternal life. Then continuing on, chapter 2, he says, And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. We have forever, we have eternal life. There's something about eternity going on here and that it's about abiding, abiding in the Son and in the Father. What does that look like? Continuing on in chapter 3, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We know that what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we also have to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We're meant to be people characterized by love. He establishes the identity of Jesus. He talks about how eternal life is going to be through abiding in that son, and it's going to look like life characterized by love. How do we do that? How do we keep loving one another? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So the spirit is part of our story. The spirit is part of our story, how we can continue to love, how we can continue to abide and show that we believe in the name of the Son of God and in the identity of Jesus. And then over the last couple weeks, 
uh, we've, we've addressed kind of what this means for us. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. We know that we are Christians because we believe in Jesus and we live it out. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So the letter here is, I've seen this over the, the whole sermon series, the letter of 1 John was written to early Christians so that they can know that they are saved. The, the letter does address how to be saved, but the letter is more so concerned with how can you, how can you and I as, as Christians know that we are saved? How can we have assurance of eternal life? And hey, that's what the book is called, the little, little sermon book that we gave out at the beginning, the assurance of eternal life. Of course, in verse 513, which we're looking at this week, it says, if we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that that is, or believe in the name of the Son of God, that that is, so we'll know we have eternal life. So John does address where salvation comes from, but this letter seems to be tuned to us as to those of us who are Christians, how we live that out. How do we live out our identity as one who abides, is meant to love one another? So it's meant to be something we know and then enact. So how do we interpret then the rest of verse 13, eternal life? Eternal life. Well, I would love... Uh, an entire different sermon time, not today, to be able to talk about eternal life because it is a really cool concept. And it's one that I think is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. I kind of view eternal life as just like that, the singing portion of church service for, for eternity. And that's not exactly the way that the, the Bible continues to talk about eternal life uh, here. Um, but we will worship God and we will have eternal life. But it's not something that we can comprehend. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. But Ecclesiastes says that eternity is in our heart. Eternity is in our heart. So there is there's a, a truth by which we can understand and reflect upon eternity, but not fully get it. Um, what I mean to say by this is that we should have the perspective and gear our minds towards eternal life, but I don't think we're ever going to all truly get it within here. I'm going to go off of what my wife said in Citigroup this past week, that, and I thought that was a really good illustration, but you got it from somebody else, from Tim Mackey, that said it would be like explaining pizza to an unborn fetus. <laughs> Which, that's, that's, I think, what we, how we should maybe approach eternal life. That there is not quite a category for it in our mind. But we, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes that, we, that the, the heart of man has eternity. He's placed eternity in our hearts. But what would it look like? What, just, let's take a step back. What would it look like if our lives were uh, framed by eternal life? If that was tattooed on our eyeballs? If that was something upon which we based our entire identity was knowing the assurance of eternal life? How would that change us? Well, that's explored in the next few verses here, verses 14 through 15. I think we'd have a different sort of confidence, and that's actually the word that's used here. Verses 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is amazing. This is, this is amazing verses 14 and 15, but we cannot separate them from verse 13. Remember that this letter was written. Who is it written to? You who believe in the name of the Son of God. So these promises in verses 14 and 15, that asking of God, or we, sh we should think of this as prayer, when we pray, we have confidence. God hears our prayers. That's what it says. Verse 15, God hears our prayers. It also says that we should pray according to his will, which we have uh, evidence of prayer according to his will beyond just these verses, right? We can take a look at the life of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays for this cup to pass, but not my will, but your will be done, Father. So Jesus gives us an example there. He also, in the Lord's Prayer, says your will be done. That's how we're supposed to pray. We're, we're to be shaped by our assurance of eternal life in the way which we approach prayer, and that will mean praying according to his will and knowing and having confidence, knowing that he hears us. I do want to pause here and, and I guess look at verses 14 and 15. Um, I don't think that, in my experience, we haven't been tempted by this at the Vine Church, but there are people historically who've been tempted by verses 14 and 15 to separate them out from, say, verse 13, to take away the identity statement that causes us to have this confidence. And uh, what we could do is perhaps take verses 14 and 15 and elsewhere in the Bible, as we'll see, and make it about um, something that sounds like or maybe is outwardly called the prosperity gospel, where we say, all right, well, God says we should pray for this thing, so I should pray for a brand new Escalade or something, and then I'm going to get it. In fact, James 4.2, James 4.2 says, you don't have because you do not ask. So elsewhere in the Bible, it does say that prayer is about asking, but verse 3, the one that follows you do not have because you do not ask, says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So I'm not here to, I don't think this, this sermon today is about, you know, refuting the prosperity gospel. It's, it's very clear here that there is a, an identity statement that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, you'll have eternal life. That's, that's the statement that then causes us to go in confidence towards prayer. It's not our own will. It's God's will that leads us towards that confidence in prayer. So God's will, there's, there's, there's books written. Like there's a, literally a book titled God's Will is Prosperity. And so that's not where we're going with these verses. That's not what we believe here at Divine Church. We believe a biblical approach to prayer is necessary, which is where I want to take us next. Like, okay, so if we have verses 14 and 15 here that say he hears us, what should we know about prayer as we, as we approach it? What should we know about prayer? Well, the first thing we should know about prayer is that it is a command. If, you, if you're a Christian, prayer is a command for you. Jesus tells his disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is convicting for me. I am not one who is always in prayer. I miss days like everybody else. Maybe some of you don't, in which case, hallelujah, Lord be praised. But it's a command, and we should be taking this seriously, this command to pray, even if we don't feel like it, I guess. Like, this is it's part, of, part of Scripture. Prayer is a command. And it isn't for nothing. It isn't, prayer is not for, for no reason. 
Um, it says in Matthew 21 and, and John 15, like that prayer is important. It says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is amazing. This is amazing news that prayer is not for no reason. It, it is impactful. God is inviting us into his will. Don't miss the conditional statements here, though, right? Don't miss that it's if you abide in me, if you have faith. And I don't want us to, to, to walk away from here knowing, uh, thinking that you don't have faith or you don't have, um, you're not abiding if your prayer for a brand new Escalade wasn't answered. That's not the point here. The point is that we have confidence in eternal life. Another way to think about this is it's not about your best life now. It's about your best life in eternity. The point of our prayers isn't for returns. The point of our prayers is for a relationship. It's a relationship, not returns. Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So if God can do whatever, as it says here, what is the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is not to cheat, like not to cheat it and to like make God somehow answer our prayers by making him a genie. Spoilers if you've never seen the movie Aladdin. I, mean, I don't know how many years ago it was. But Jafar gets tricked, right? He's going to be the most powerful thing in the universe and he becomes a genie. And then that's like, God is not our slave, right? Jafar is defeated through his own power in that way. He's beholden to whoever holds the lamp. God is not beholden to you because you have prayer. God is in heavens. He does all that he pleases. So the point of prayers, it, it, it's not about the results. It's not about getting what you want. It's about the relationship with God. Jesus tells us to pray, our Father. That's how he tells us to start our prayer. Our Father, Abba. For you have, and this is Romans 8, for you have received, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So we're meant to be approaching prayer as it's a relationship. God is inviting us into a relationship so we can know his will. This is what's different about Christianity, in my mind, from every other worldview, every other religion. There's plenty of religions who have a creator God who's made the universe. But the, the difference is the Christian God, Abba, Father, he hears you. He hears your prayers. He, he hears each one of us, and he's inviting you to prayer and relationship with him. It's amazing that the God of the universe would deign to have a relationship with you, with me. Come on. That's amazing that God is inviting us. And he's not only giving us this identity that we know we have eternal life, but he's inviting us to do something with that, to pray with him. So what do we do with this information? Well, I have some application points. Um, I'll put them up on the screen for, for folks who are note takers. I hope that I like, to, I like to do the little uh, application points like this on a notes slide for, for the organized folks. Um, hopefully that's helpful. Um, but I'd like to start with a, a story. I'll start with a story of how this has 
uh, been apparent to me over the past couple months. And my daughter, Annie, is 10 years old. And there was a day I came home from work with a, uh, I was very proud of the prize that I had brought home. It was two uh, little snack-sized bags of chocolate chip cookies that they were going to have in their lunches. I was excited to have one bag for Lizzie, one bag for Annie. And the reason why I was proud is because they were just sitting on the counter at work, which is totally fair game for anybody to just take whatever's there. You know what I mean? I don't know if anybody else work has that. But in the, in the break room, if something's on that counter, you can take it. So I was really proud. I had an opportunity, <laughs> opportunity to take home some snacks for my kids, and I did. And I packed them in the lunch. And Annie, dear sweet Annie, came to me about, while, like in the middle of packing the lunch, which I thought was great, and said, Dad, can I have a push pop in my lunch? And you might think this is a really stupid illustration, okay? Just, just stay with me here. <laughs> can I have a push pop? Uh, anybody know where these, anybody been given out the push pops? Your kids came home with these from memorizing the verses here? They, they, there's a prize bin for, for kids who memorize the verses, maybe adults too. Talk to James Davenport about that. Um, <laughs> there's a prize you get for, uh, for memorizing the verse, for, for memorizing the scripture, which is really cool. And Annie was proud, and she came to me, and she said, like, Dad, I know you might say no, but I'd like to have a push pop in my lunch. I'd like to have this for dessert, and I won't even have it all in one day. She was, like, negotiating into, into having this. She didn't know that I had packed those cookies in there. She didn't know that I had a different will for her, <laughs> to try to connect it to the scripture, that I had a different will for her, which was, I, yeah, I did desire that she have that push pop. I was amazed that she, she got that for, for memorizing that scripture. And I did want her to have a snack at the end of lunch. In fact, I had given her a different thing. So I had to say no. And you could see her face move. But I, of course, I qualified. I said, no, but you can have this other thing that I gave to you. And I don't know if this is the worst illustration of all time, but to me, it was helpful as I framed thinking about prayer towards God. In which ways am I asking for one thing and God has something else for me? Or his will is not now. Do I let him speak to me and, and qualify the answer of no? No, because, check it out, I have something different for you. So let's, let's chat through application points. Like, how can we, how can we approach prayer? <laughs> I want to commend my daughter. I want, how do we approach prayer in the way that she approached, approached me with confidence, knowing that there was something for her in her request? One, I think we need to believe in the name of the Son of God. Because if we skip verse 13 and we only look at verses 14 and 15, we miss the point. Believe in the name of the Son of God. And for, for some of you here, like this, this might be new to you. Right? And the rest of these application points, kind of, they don't apply. They don't apply if you don't get that this is belief in the name of the Son of God is fundamental to who we are. We call this the gospel message. That's why it's first on our presentation week in and week out of who we are. We're going to sing, and here, there's a bunch of ways to present the gospel, but a little later on, we're going to sing a song called Cornerstone. Where at the end of the song, it says, we are going to be presented faultless before the throne. Faultless before the throne at the end of days. In Colossians 1, 21 through 22, this is the, the biblical scripture basis for that. It says, and you, this is addressing all of us, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That's each of us. Each of us is guilty. We have now been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And that was in order 
Why, why were we reconciled in his body and his, in his body of flesh and in his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him? Even though we are guilty, it is Jesus' death and his resurrection that promises us eternal life. I think we oftentimes understand Jesus' substitutionary atonement, his death, but we forget that, that tomb was empty. A tomb was empty, and he was raised to be with the Father, and that's the promise upon which we base our identity, this eternal life. We have to believe in the name of the Son of God, and that is going to bring us confidence towards approaching the Father and asking him, which is the second application point, praying for his will, praying for his will. So how do we pray for his will? Zach uh, did a podcast a week and a half ago, a week ago, about the different forms of God's will. And so I encourage you to listen to that for some like really deep dive into, into his will. But there's a few different ways in which Scripture just tells us about God's will I'll, I'll remind you of. One, we know God's will through Scripture. Psalm 40 says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law, your Torah, is in my heart. So the law, the word of God, the scriptures need to be in our heart in order to, to, to delight in doing your will. We must know scriptures. How else are we going to know the will? Well, through, we need to be praying and praying in thankfulness and rejoicing. And this is, this is actually really difficult uh, next verse. Um, it doesn't sound like it, but 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We are to know God's will through Scripture, but also being thankful. And I know some stories of the people in this room who do not feel thankful right now because life is a mess. And it breaks my heart to think about people praying and knowing that you feel like your prayers are unanswered. You feel like losing that job or... Health declining or divorce impending. Like these things are, they don't feel like you're, you're ready to thank God for it. But that's God's will is that we rejoice always and we give thanks in all circumstances because we remember it's not about our best life. Now our best life is awaiting us, eternal life. And so 60, 80, 100 years of suffering, it's an awful reality that some people live through, right? Some people, I, I'm very blessed. I, I'm just going to outwardly say it. I do not endure. I'm not going to endure a life full of suffering. I have many blessings, but there are people who do suffer through their entire life. And we shouldn't be blind to that. But we should have the perspective of eternal life to know that it is just a blip. It is a blip when we consider eternity. God's plans are sovereign. And it's easy to say that. It's way difficult to live it out. So like I said, rejoicing always in all circumstances, I think that's, that's probably one of the hardest realities here in praying for his will to pass. Third application point is in, in praying for his will that we trust in God's timing. Time is the, the limiting factor which we all have, right? This is, we, we have time to deal with. In eternity, we don't. But in this life, we do. And so when we pray, we want results now. But in God's perspective, he is going to give us results now because he's, he's operating on the timeline of eternity. 
Peter, 2 Peter 3.8 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. There are constant reminders of people not waiting and being patient for the Lord. We're going to look at the life of David um, in the upcoming sermon series. And the people of Israel, they wanted a king. They wanted a king. Spoiler alert, God's their king. That's who they should be looking to. (laughs) They want a king, and they don't want to wait for it, so they just find the tallest dude, Saul, pick him out. doesn't turn out great. Sometimes we want to take our own actions instead of waiting on God's timing. Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. This is difficult, but these are the application points we have from from this, that we should have the perspective of eternity in order to endure trusting his timing. And then the last one here, having confidence of assured eternal life, I actually want to make this an encouragement to, to the church body here, to the Vine Church. I see you living this out. None of us does it perfectly, but praise the Lord, he is renewing us day by day. I see people in here knowing that they have eternal life, and desiring to share that with people in their homes, in their workplaces, sharing out the the identity you have in Christ Jesus to know that you have eternal life by by sharing missionally through through neighbors, through nations, and the ways in which we engage as a church body. In other words, what I want to say is I see people who believe what who do what they say they believe. None of us is perfect, but I want to encourage you that continue and endure and have confidence of that assured eternal life. So, Vine Church, I exhort us to identify with your new identity. Be assured of eternal life. And this way we can approach our relationship with God and with others in confident love. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are really good to us. You are sovereign Your timing is perfect. We repent that we are not patient. We repent that we ignore prayer despite it being a command. Lord, we admit that we forget the perspective of eternal life. Lord, we forget sometimes that what we ask for according to your will you may have, you have your own sovereign will, and it may be different than what we request. You may have something different, possibly better for us. Lord, forgive us for our lack of faith. May we have assurance of eternal life that is guaranteed through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we approach you in prayer, Father, as a relationship, not in order to get anything, not in order to get results, but in order to glorify you. Amen.